How did you feel when you were the youngest ever winner back in 2015? It was almost confirmation that I wasn't crazy. I was filming myself at work, in the office at night, at home, repeating that I was the winner and that Lord Sugar was going to hire me. I was on such a high. And when it was over, I came crashing back down to reality ballroom politics, quite a lot of backstabbing. His team wanted to look good in front of him and try and throw me under the bus when I was actually paying them. No, so you were so, paying them, yeah, not just to, with the 50%. You have you're... to pay back. Cash was running out and I was on the brink of facing laying off 100 people just before Christmas. It was absolutely horrendous. Just lit my body in flames. And I was like, right, I'm going to fucking show you that I'm not a fool. So Joseph, you won The Apprentice and a lot of young people dream of winning that show. It's uh, such a popular show in the UK. How did you feel when you were the youngest ever winner back in 2015? It was a strange feeling. It was almost like an anti-climax because I'd convinced myself so much that when I applied for the show that I was going to win it, it was almost confirmation that I wasn't crazy. So like the law of attraction? Yeah, the law of attraction, 100%. And so I genuinely believe I manifested it into reality. But I remember when I told my mum that I'd applied for the show and that I was accepted to go through the interview stages, I said, I'm going to win. I'm going to win this. And she looked at me like, yeah, well, you're good luck. You know, you're going to do well. And then when she dropped me off at the train station, when I actually went away to do the filming, I said, next time you're going to see me, mum, I'm going to be the winner. And she was like, yeah, I'm sure you are. Good luck. I'm sure they so loved like, your confidence yeah. when you went to the like, there's an interview stage before you actually get on The Apprentice, right? Yeah, there's about five interview what, stages. Five? Yeah, okay. you have to go back and back and back yeah. and back because they whittle it down from 60,000. Mm. So the first um, day is a day in London and they hold them in Manchester, Birmingham and London. Mm. And there's a bit like the X Factor, there's thousands mm. of people lined up all in suits, you know, that typical apprentice yeah. um, profile. And um, you have to go through loads of challenges that day and from that day of 60,000 they take it down to a couple of thousand mm. and then you keep going back and keep going back and keep going back. I suppose you've got to have the perfect mix of entrepreneurship as well as charisma for mm. TV. Absolutely you know you've got to get attention. I said mm. things in my application form um, like I want to be like Hugh Hefner or I want the girls, the cars <laughs> and the money. Yeah. I'm the godfather of business. I'm a teacher Lord Sugar um, give Lord Sugar an offer he can't refuse. Mm. Like all of these things mm. that come back to bite you when you're standing in front of him and he says do you really think um, that you're the godfather of business. I was like, no, I said it to yeah. get on the show, of course. <laughs> so you have to um, say those things or you're yeah. never going to stand out in your application mm. form, right? You can't just go in there and be average. So let's take it back to the beginning. Where did your entrepreneurial journey start? It was born out of necessity, Mark, if I'm honest. It was... I grew up in a family that really struggled financially. I had a, a figure in my life that I believed without that, you know, I wouldn't be sat here today. And my uncle was a very, very successful um, entrepreneur. He worked within businesses, came from nothing, mm. and went on to head up some very, very big corporate organizations in finance and in banking. And so he would come once a month, sorry, he would come once or twice a year to Peterborough. Mm. Then he'd come down in his brand new BMW. He was a tall, guy a bit like yourself you know he walked into the room with confidence and respect and he was always in a suit 
And um, and I used to look at my dad and then I would look at this man. And, you know, I didn't want to feel like this, but I, I just couldn't see why these two men were so different. Mm. Why can't my dad be like him is what I always used to think mm. to myself. Why isn't he stepping up to the plate and doing this? And so I made a decision very, very early on that I was going to be like my uncle. I loved my uncle. I idolized my uncle because he just had um, freedom and choice. Everywhere we went, he was like, he could buy the things that we could never get down to the simplest thing of like having a McDonald's mm. we didn't have it unless mm. my uncle came so like a McDonald's for the for a lot of time in my early um, years was like super special when you got one mm. you know it wasn't every day um, and so I was like I'm going to be like that guy and my mum I saw very early on the sacrifices that she made and I said the only way that I'm going to be able to give her the life that she deserves mm. if I go and build an empire um, and that's what I set out to do. So I think it was born out of necessity, but I think a lot of people struggle because they don't have somebody that's close to them that they can buy into, that they can aspire to be like. Yeah, it almost becomes an unattainable dream. Exactly. Like, that's for other people, not me. My mentor really wasn't a mentor, as I'm sure yours wasn't really, but he was an aspirational figure. I mean, not, not to take anything away from my dad. My dad worked a very good job, mm -hmm. nine to five, you know, and provided for the family. There's four of us, so that, that takes a bit of providing for to start with anyway. Um, but certainly the, the guy I looked up to was very, very similar to your uncle. Mm -hmm. And I thought, you know, there's a life there that I need. And he always I had some money on to. his hip, you said. I always, yeah. had, he always <laughs> had some cash on his hip. And, you know, I, I think... I think what you've said there is very similar, isn't it? He could always buy what he wanted to buy. Yeah. He always had new cars. Mm. Yeah, he always had the latest radio control models in the yeah. day, you know. <laughs> and they'd be passed on to me at some stage, nice. which was great. Otherwise, I couldn't afford to do aero modeling, which was uh, it was good in the day. So you're very lucky to have someone like that. Yeah, very lucky. You know, and he's helped me a lot. He's been a big influence in my life. I'm actually going to see him in a couple of weeks. He's recently moved to Portugal. He's I'm in his late 60s now, and mm. um, so I'm going to see him for a couple of days, which would be nice. I've mm. seen him for a while. Mm. Have you told him that he was? your role model yeah he's seen videos and I write a book <laughs> Expelled from the Classroom to Billionaire Boardroom and um, I talk about um, him in that book quite a lot yeah unfortunately I didn't have the chance to tell mine how much mm -hmm. he, he meant to me although I do visit his grave yeah. and also send his wife a, a card every year at Christmas and so on and well I go and deliver it just mm -hmm. have a little chat as well so oh, it's, uh, nice. it's good that you can uh, he knows that he's helped yeah. you and I'm going to tell him again, actually, now that you've said that, because he's getting on. <laughs> Where I grew up, being in a trade was a good job. Yeah. Mm. So that was like you you become a trade, come a tradesman, mm. you're going to make loads of money. Now, there was a, a and, and I think because I was a young teenager, then my dad was gone. I was always looking for father figures in older guys. Mm. Yeah. Um, looking for somebody that I could look up to and somebody that I could, um, you know, get praise from. Mm. And I did it with my uncle. And then there was a guy called Darren Boardman. Now, he was 25, good looking guy. Um, he was a plumber and he'd started his own plumbing business. He drove a BMW and he always had money, had respect in our town from a lot of people and so um i was like i want to be like that guy mm. yeah he's a plumber he's making mm. loads of money look he's got a bmw you know um 50 pound an hour plumbers make is what i remember i'm um, thinking back then why are trades put down so much because mm -hmm. in the eyes of a lot of school leavers they go i don't want to be a tradesman mm. I mean, why do they do that 
well, I mean, they want you to go to university, right? So they can trap you and put you into loads of debt. That's the massive push, isn't yeah. it? Like, that's what mum and dad didn't understand. Like mm. and nearly everyone in my class went to university yep. and I decided, no, I just want to start a business instead. Nice, do nice. something a little bit different. But yeah, mm. they just want you to become a debt slave um, forever. How many people go to uni to go and do something that they don't even know that they want to yeah. do? And they think that uni is the, the route to success. Yeah. Yeah. You don't go to uni, you're a failure. So go and pick something like psychology or yeah. dance or sports science just a way to put off life be. as well and, and have you, a bit of fun you leave with all that debt and you don't mm. even follow the career that you went and spent all that money studying mm. you go and get a 20 grand a year job and now you're stuck with a huge amount of debt that mm. you're never going to be able to pay off you know there's a reason that they market university there's a lot of people making a lot of wedge from people mm. going to university exactly right and and it's a marketing machine mm. that's preaching that message because tradespeople you know by the time I was 19, I was making 50 grand a year mm. as a gas engineer. Mm. You know, I was an expelled from school mm. failure in the eyes of everybody else. And now I was making double. You know, I heard an advert yesterday um, on the radio, actually. I just, and it was something like make 28,000 pounds as a teacher. I'm like 28 grand as a teacher. <laughs> I was making more than that 15, 18 years ago yeah. as a gas engineer. Yeah, from a kid that didn't even follow the system. So I was like, you know... It, Mm. The, the, how how can they be paid so little money mm. you know and if that's what going to uni provides you then go to go and be a tradesperson mm. well I did a trade I, I learned mm. to be a carpenter and joiner mm -hmm. took three years and I think that gave me a really good foundation of life mm. um, I left for various reasons mm -hmm. basically a manager that wasn't much fun shall we say but yep. the owner of the business I'm still friends with to this day and I go and have a cup of tea with him and that sort of thing so nice. you know I think being a, in a trade is quite a good way to go about things and if you're intelligent enough to go to university but you choose a trade route I think you become the person that runs that trade business yeah, absolutely. So how did having a billionaire invest in you change your life? So if you imagine up until that point, I was 25 years of age and I was a plumber running a plumbing business. I wasn't a businessman. I'd started my business at 22. I took out a £15,000 loan. I had no business plan, no understanding of sales, marketing, finance, operations, um, any of that stuff. Mm. I just had a lot of ambition. I actually started because I read Lord Sugar's autobiography, Expelled from the Classroom to the Billionaire Boardroom. Literally changed my life. Yeah. I hadn't read a book for many years. I came back from Australia. I lived yeah. in Australia when I was 21 because um, I'd got sick of working as a gas engineer. I was servicing 10 boilers a day, making 50K a year. And I was like, at 21, is this my life? Now, mm. going into social housing properties, mm. servicing boilers every mm. day. I was like, screw this. Mm. Although 50K is good, it yeah. was obviously looking like a dead end. That was it. That was yeah. your limit, I assume. There was nowhere left to go. Yeah. You know, and I wanted to go and see the world, and there's no better place to go than the other side of it. Mm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I went off to Australia. I, I sold all of my stuff. I, I act quite a lot on impulse, right? Sold my stuff. I've split with my girlfriend of like five years. Oh, really? And what, just um, like that. Just like that. Literally, I had to go I was yeah. getting depressed and I wanted more um, and I was like if I don't do it I'm never going to do it sold my car that I had at the time got mm. rid of my things and off I went stayed there for a while went there best thing I ever did any 21 year olds listening to this or um, late teens go travelling you know, it opens up your eyes to the world and you meet so many people. And, mm. you know, I got to meet um, so many amazing people, um, lots and lots of beautiful women, um, <laughs> had real great time and yeah. fun and partying. I traveled all around Australia. So I did all of these things. By the time I was done, I was like, right, I'm ready to go back and smash it now. I'm going back and I'm not, I'm going to spill my mm. empire. I'd got it out the way. I'd done my partying. I'd mm. met lots of people. I was like, I'm going to build the empire. So I flew home and um, partly because I ran 
run out of money. But I flew home. <laughs> still had the ticket. Yeah, still had the ticket. <laughs> Went home and um, I ended up getting straight back into the same job that I was doing before I left. And all of that time when I was away just vanished. Mm. And I was I woke back up and I was servicing boilers again. Mm, yeah. And I was like, oh my God, I can't do this. This was like September 2011. Then by Christmas, my um, uh, the company that I used to work for let us have two weeks off over Christmas. They were very kind. Mm. And, um, That's fairly normal in the building trade. So in the UK, in it? A couple of weeks at Christmas, a yeah. couple of weeks in the summer. That's your lot, son. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so my mum got me this book and I was a ma- massive fan of The Apprentice. I watched it every year religiously. I always wanted to go on the show. And um, so I read this book, What You See Is What You Get, cover to cover. Mm. And basically what I saw from the book was that there was a guy that came from a council estate and built billionaire wealth. Mm. Well, up until this point, I'd convinced myself that the only people that could go on and do that were people that were in different circumstances other than me. Yeah. People that had opportunity, people that were given um, wealth by their parents or their grandparents or people that were in a different class or a different area. Mm. I bought my own bullshit, right? So, um, Or I bought the bullshit of all of the people that had killed their own dreams around me and made excuses why other people were successful. Yeah. It was the first eye-opener that I ever had. So I said, right, well, if he can do it, so can I. Mm. Right? I can't see anything from his story that I don't have. Mm. Yeah, so I took, I quit my job immediately on like December the 31st, messing my boss saying, I ain't coming back. Mm. Yeah, went on to Tesco's um, uh, uh, lenders. I, t- I, w- I took a home improvement loan on my good 50 grand salary that I was getting mm. at the time mm. and then quit my job straight away and I had 15 <laughs> grand in the bank to go and start a business. So I bought a van, bought some tools, branded it up mm. and then Impera was born. And um, so fast forward that, Three years later, that same billionaire bought half the company for £250,000. It took me from tradesman to businessman. Because mm. at 25, I had half a million pound a year turnover. I was making some good money, probably about £100,000 a year. Had a nice BMW, nice girlfriend, nice house. And I thought I was doing well. And were you a one-man band at this point? So I had about seven people. Seven, Five okay, plumbers. Yeah. I had a little office above an estate agents. And we were doing quite well mm. in Cambridgeshire. I worked for all property mm. management companies, countrywide, sequence times. I was a 24-hour maintenance outfit, basically. We did everything. But it was night and day. Mm. Very Mm. difficult business to run. You know, they want you when they want you Mm. and you've got to drop everything. And so I was miserable. I had no systems, no processes. Everything was in my head. Mm. If I stopped, the business stopped. And so- But you did stop. You went on to The Apprentice. And that's not a short period of time. So how did that work? Good, good question. So basically what happened was I got accepted to go on the show. They said I can tell four people. Yeah, told my mum, my sister, my girlfriend, my best friend, and um, five actually. And I told <laughs> Debbie that worked in my office. Now, Debbie was amazing. She was 55 mm. and she worked part-time. So I sat with her and I said, listen, Debbie, I've got accepted to go on the show. Um, if I go away, it could be for 10 weeks and you're not going to hear from me. My phone was ringing a thousand times a day in that business. Mm. And um, I said, I'm really worried the, the business might go down. But I said, I don't really care because I can come back and rebuild it anyway. This is the opportunity of lifetime. She looked back at me and said, you're 100 percent win I'll do it for you whatever you need and bless her she stepped up and ran that 24-hour maintenance business for me weekdays weekends you know over that period of time and I disappeared for nine weeks and actually I learned that I had built a better business than what I thought I'd built and it could work without me Hmm. but one of the stories um, that you'll like is the day before I left 
Yeah, it was the 26th of April, 2015. They said I couldn't tell anybody. So um, on the Sunday night, I emailed all of my corporate clients, private management companies, all of my staff, right? And I said to them, um, I'm really sorry. My, I've got to go away. Yeah, my auntie's very ill because I'm half Italian. Um, she lives in Italy, in the mountains, on a goat farm. <laughs> there's no Wi-Fi. There's no signal. I don't know yeah. when you're going to hear from me again. Yeah. Sent it and then I disappeared. What, of the face of the planet. What, did they believe you or are they call him bullshit? Because that sounds like well, quite a far-fetched story. They couldn't uh, respond. I was gone. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> you, you, you even get a phone when you're in the clink, don't they? So they knew you weren't even in there. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah. So the phone just went off and then yeah. Debbie obviously knew. And she said after four weeks, they were saying like, blimey, where is Joe? Mm. Where has he actually gone? Mm. Is he okay? Yeah, yeah, he's fine. I've heard from him. Mm. I've heard from him. Six weeks went by. Are you sure something's wrong? And so- yeah, of course, because it's not a live show, is it? It's pre-recorded. Exactly. So they couldn't even see you on the TV yeah. and be like, oh, you've gone on there. So big risk, you know? And if you want to be successful in business, in my opinion, yeah, and if you really want to make some quantum leaps, you've got to take big risks. Yeah. You've got to take quantified risks, but you sometimes you've got to take big risks. And I had a one in 18 chance of winning that show um, and having the 250K and the exposure mm and the billionaire business partner or I could stay doing my half a million pound plumbing business that I'd built mm. for three years and I knew what life looked like I was like right I'm prepared to put it all on the table for one chance that I can change my future mm. to the next level and that's how I operate I will take massive massive risks mm. with the very very slim chance that I will succeed even if the, ad, the odds are completely stacked against me mm. if there's an opportunity to change everything I'll take the shot were you worried about giving away 50% of your business? Because obviously that is quite a substantial challenge. It seems like a worse addition of the Dragon's Den, really, because mm. you know you've got to give 50% away and you know you're only getting 250000 At that time, I was pretty uneducated, really, in mm. terms of what the business was worth and valuations of the business and all that type of stuff. Um, I didn't really care. If mm. I thought, if I win this, it's going to be life-changing. It's mm. going to be way more than this plumbing business is worth. Mm. Yeah, even the exposure. So the opportunity, the reward versus the risk was huge. Mm. Um, and, you know, now looking back, it was the best move that I ever made. I mean, we we're getting 10 million people a week. That's not when um, social media was popping. I mean, you guys get millions mm. of views, mm. yeah, on the stuff that you put out, which is amazing. Um, but back then, social media wasn't there. So it was all eyes on TV. There's a little bit of social media. Mm. No one was getting millions and millions of mm. views unless you're on the TV, right? Mm. So um, that opportunity was huge. And, um, and having Lord Chigwa as a business partner. You know, I remember the first board meeting that I went into and um, they brought out a financial pack, P&L, mm. balance sheet. I didn't know what any of that was. Mm. I've been in business for three years. Mm. I'd seen my accountant once a year. He used to put it in front of me and I said, have I made a profit or not? <laughs> and he goes, um, yeah, you've made a profit. I was like, all right, brilliant. Sign yeah. this. Thank you very much. Right, I'm going back to work. That was my mentality. Mm. I had no financial education of how to properly run a business. And so many business owners have no understanding of their numbers or their accounting um, mm. and I remember looking at it and thinking blimey I'm going to blag my way through this board mm. meeting you know, he's got his FD in there mm. he's got his assistant FD he's got his accountant and all these guys and I'm just Joseph the plumber and I, I went away and I learned everything I could about accounting so it forced me to level up mm. yeah I really really leveled up and that's where I started to go from tradesman to businessman and take this business stuff seriously forget about the delivery of the product that's just one part of mm. the business mm. you've got to learn how to build, run the 
business, not just be the guy that does the mm. tools. Um, and so the biggest transition that I ever went on and the best transition, it was like a masterclass of what it really took to be successful. And he's ruthless, ruthless. So when he was, when I was in that room with him, if I can handle the pressure that he was putting on me, I can handle anybody. So the confidence um, and everything that it gave me to be around highly successful mm. people was so invaluable. So what's the main thing you took from these meetings with Lord Sugar? So when you go into business um, with a partner, you know, you've always got to look at what you both bring into the table or an investor, right? And so um, I believed at that point that every business guru was a business guru of all business. Mm. Yeah. So I thought, well, if he's a billionaire, he's going to know about every mm. single business. It's, there's mm. nothing he's not going to be able to tell me. It became apparent very, very quickly that they didn't know about construction and running a service-based business. So mm. I took the knowledge about how to build the financial infrastructure and they helped with some of the systems. And, you know, you got an hour a month with Lord Sugar in a board meeting. I took how to handle myself in a high pressure environment. There was a lot of boardroom politics, quite a lot of backstabbing. His team wanted to look good in front of him and try really? and throw me under the bus mm. when I was actually paying them as well. Mm. So I was like, hang on, this is all strange. Hey, so you were so, paying them, yeah, you not just to, with the 50%. You have you, to pay back. Really? Out of the 250K, you use his business services and pay him no back. No way. I was getting charged <laughs> 3,000 pounds a month accounting fees. And we were less than a million turnover. That was at the 250K. You think year one, that's 36K back. Mm, yeah, nuts. I had to pay for PR services that were fixed at two grand mm. to the PR team. So they, he's smart at getting his money back, right? Mm. Um, so it was quite costly. And um, you don't really get anything else. There was no sales support, no marketing support, mm. none of that stuff. It was basically him and his financial team, mm. not all these other resources that you can tap into like it's an epicenter of your value. So I was going to the board meetings and I was, um, being, set, I was being asked, okay, what are we doing then? I was like, well, with all due respect, I'm coming here to get help. I don't know what the next move is right i need you to guide me mm -hmm. um and then it and then after two and a half years i was getting pretty demotivated i was mm -hmm. going there they were they they were didn't really understand i wanted to go at a thousand mile an hour now rightly or wrongly okay i wanted to scale fast okay. he didn't want to scale fast he wanted me to be a small business that ticked along in the back end. So every time a new show come out, you could report profit and say, look how well my apprentice winners are doing. Mm. I felt like I was in his shadow. I was being called Lord Sugar's business partner a lot, not Joseph Valente. Mm. Um, and I wanted to build my own brand. So I said to him, listen, when I read your book, at 28 to, tw to 30, that's where you started to make serious money. You were going for it with Amstrad. Mm. You can't sit in here and tell me mm. to not put it all on the line and mm. go for it. And I appreciate wanting to go national in a service-based business in the plumbing sector is a huge risk mm. yeah so i said if you don't want to come on the journey with me then let me buy you out i'll take all of the risk and if it goes if it goes down it's on me it's not on you but there's no way that i'm playing small i'm mm. going for it and i'm going to either boom it or i'm going to bust it but mm. either way i'm going i'm going all in yeah and then he looked back at me and said no one spoke to me like that before all right i'll give you 48 hours i'll come back to you so mm. 48 hours negotiated a deal and i got out um, and um, that was when we were doing about a million pound a year in sales. Um, 
And then I got into the boiler sector after that and I went for it. I went national. Um, and within, hung your shirt on the line. Hung, yeah. Um, yeah. Put my, put my shirt on the line, put my neck on the line, put my reputation on the line, put everything on the line to go national. And within two and a half years, I was doing a million pound a month mm. in boiler sales. I was operating in every major city in the UK. I had about 80 full-time employees and a few hundred subcontractors. How do you scale that fast? You know, sorry to interrupt mm. you, but I mean, that is fast scaling, that yep. number of cities. How'd you do it? Insanity work. <laughs> um, you know, I listen to a lot of people that make a lot of money in scale and um, guys that operate in the digital world and online, like those businesses are hard to scale, but they're nothing like construction. You know, they're a lot easier to do than construction. You know, you're dealing with materials, mm-hmm. you're dealing with, we were selling in the consumer. So it was, could be this size house, it could be a flat, mm-hmm. it could be, you know, imagine the knowledge of all those different systems and different sizes. Mm-hmm. You've got different surveyors with different skill sets, with different engineers, with different skill sets. you got a field-based sales team. I had hundreds of engineers. I had 35 national sales team visiting um, 100 appointments a week each. Mm-hmm. I had um, 50 people in my operations in my office so you're effectively running three businesses in one mm-hmm. the business I run now is a training business I mean it's a dream mm-hmm. compared mm-hmm. to the business that I ran there mm-hmm. it's like so easy to do comparison to what that was it was just insanity work luckily we were able to acquire the uh, inquiries we bought third party leads from lead generation companies mm-hmm. so we could work with strategic partners where I could call them and say how many people you got in Birmingham how many inquiries on a monthly basis Joe we can get 200 leads well my sales process that I built and created at Impra was the best and still is market leading um, for closing um, sales in the home, in in um, the home improvement sector. And um, it's what I teach businesses to do now in construction. We were able to buy 200 leads and sell guaranteed 40% of them. Really? So I didn't wow. have to do all of the marketing. Mm, I could just mm. buy the leads. Yeah, then I could send in my sales yeah. team, 40%. Mm. I'm pulling out, you know, what's, um, what's, what's that? So 40% of 200 is 40 boilers on two and a half thousand. We're making a hundred grand a month per mm. city. So it was easy as finding a salesperson. All I did was start targeting all of British Gas's people. Mm. I went on a mad recruitment drive. I stole all of British Gas's top salespeople because I had a big mm. brand then as well. So everybody wanted to come to me mm. because I had Lord Sugar's back in. Mm. I had, even when I wasn't with Lord Sugar, I had the, the prestige mm. of being the apprentice winner mm. and Impra Gas was on the up, right? Yeah. So I was pulling good managers over. I was pulling good salespeople. Did the salespeople work on commission or did you get like investment into the business basics. to hire these people? Uh, basics, they were on 20k right, okay. basics and then they got, got a five percent net of fifty thousand pounds net boiler sales that they had to make right, so impress yeah. flying mm-hmm. everything's absolutely great the world is mm. your oyster mm. and then so basically what happened is that i think i i got actually i i, I got in the 2019 i got a mentor who was the former managing director of british gas yeah and um he ran their um, installation department from 1995 to 2002 100,000 in installs a year mm. 540 million I put something out on LinkedIn one day because um, we were a big business we were doing you know I don't know at that point quarter of a million three quarters of a million a month went into the office on a Sunday we got two one star reviews on Trustpilot so I went to the office drove straight there called the customers and I said listen really really sorry this has happened I'm mm. a, CEO, a CEO I mean I put on LinkedIn so it doesn't matter how big you get you still got to look after your customers he DM me saying I've been watching you for a few years absolutely love that i want to come and be your advisor excuse me i want to come and be your advisor so 
that was actually an incredible experience and probably part of my downfall as well because um, he came and helped me and we went on a massive expansion, um, a massive um, growth expansion. And, um, you know, you don't know what you don't know. And when you build your first business and you build at the scale that I was, you're putting a lot at risk. Mm. Yeah. And so you surround yourself with the right mentors. So I didn't do it stupidly. I thought I had the right people around me. Um, but actually there were things that, you know, you mentors mentors have got to have if they're going to tell you to grow they've got to understand the finances and everything every every piece of the business to be able mm. to um, advise correctly and I was and I was you know going for it anyway we got national we were in Scotland Wales everywhere and um, had a lot of people I'd built huge infrastructure um, but I'd reinvested all of the cash flow I hadn't got external investment to this point um, I'd, I'd grown on mm. cash flow and um, and um, if the sales stopped then that was going to catch up yeah. with us, right? And I knew I was starting to get the investment to take us to the next level. I had an eye on it and I was making those moves, but I didn't um, foresee what was going to come. So winter 2019, November, Brexit was happening that winter. It was a lot warmer than expected. Mm. Sales forecast took a massive hit. And then without them new sales coming into the business, because mm. we had a fast install turnaround, the cash flow took a huge hit. And I knew that we were in major trouble. Mm. Cash was running out. I couldn't get cash flow fast enough, couldn't get investment fast enough. And because we'd invested, we'd grown the business to such a big level, the books weren't looking great anyway mm. um, as a business. So it was it was, it was going to be difficult to turn something around super quick. You so, needed a couple more years by the sounds of it. I did, yeah, yeah. I needed a couple more years and a couple more million. Yeah. Yeah, I needed a big cash injection at that point. I should have got it sooner. Um, but I had the people around me and I I was putting my faith in them knowing because they'd done it before to probably tell me. And that was the one big mistake that I made was relying on other people um, and not taking control. Their mm. my, I'd put my destiny in other people's hands and it was suicide. Mm. Um, and so, because I was smart enough, I knew that I needed the money and I should have moved 10 times quicker, but I was on such an expansion as well. I was working seven days a week, 20 hours a day. You know, we were mm. just, it was mental um, what, what, what I put us through. And I'm not too sure why I did it. Mm. It was just this mad obsession to become national and to become number mm. one. It was just, I was so fucking obsessed. Mm. Yeah. And um, and so 2019, I knew we were running out of cash. And I was like, I, I brought my team around. And every day we were trying to find solutions. And it came that the only solution that I could get was to sell it to a recovery specialist. And this was like almost Christmas. And I was on the brink of facing laying off 100 people just before Christmas. Mm. It was absolutely horrendous. It was the worst experience I've ever had in my life. Mm. I felt um, awful. And I found a company and they said they were going to buy it. Yeah. And the company had racked up some debts to a couple of million and um, they said they were going to buy it. They said um, they were going to take on the debt, keep all the jobs and mm. everything else. Strung me along for like three weeks mm. and it was very, very quick. And this was over Christmas. Said that everything was going to be all good. The day we went to sign the contract, right, they flipped it on me and said, no, actually, we're not going to buy it. We only want to buy the assets, the brand, mm. where you need to shut down um, the company with the remaining debt. We'll take the staff, though. We'll take on all of the customer contracts, which was really important to me. Mm. And um, we'll set up a new co that the suppliers that are going to lose money get to trade with. And I was literally out of cash. So mm. I had no choice. They'd strung me all the way to that point. Do you think that then, was their plan? All absolutely. Along I mean, point. I was completely mm. naive. Mm. I mean, that they were going to take it. They, these guys 
guys were sharks. Mm. I didn't know. I didn't. I'd never dealt with people of that caliber before. Mm. They knew exactly what they were doing, and I fell for it. And anyway, but anyway, it, it, it could have been that the whole thing just went into liquidation, and all my staff were gone, and everything else. So I made sure my number one priority was my people. Right? They all kept their jobs, and they all got to go with the new business. Mm. Then the number one was customers had loads of warranties and loads of contracts with the boilers and stuff that we'd done. They took on all of the responsibility for that and signed that over. But we had to shut the company down and um, part of it down. And yes, the suppliers that supported us had lost some money along that mm. journey. And it was very, very difficult. And it was a horrible situation. Um, but it's the risk of working with a fast growing business. Mm. you know. And as I said to a lot of the people at the time, you know, this isn't, I haven't taken the money. I've not stolen mm. it. It's gone, but it's it, it's gone into the business. Mm. You knew the risk working with me. And if you didn't, then you should have done your due diligence, you know? Mm. So business is a risk um, for all parties involved and things do go wrong, unfortunately. And it went wrong for me. How did you cope mentally going from a booming business mm. to basically broke overnight? It was brutal. I mm. was, I was, the crash was savage. I mean, when I was on the up, everyone was my friend. You mm. should have seen it. Got a lot of friends on the way after up. After 25, yeah. you know, there was everybody wanted a piece. Mm. Everyone. Yeah. And it was like, I was, I was just had so many people around me that were wanted to be on the coattails of my success. Mm. And I probably deserved it, if I'm completely honest. I think I needed it. I needed that. I needed it. I think God gave me a right hook and put me back down. He said, right, you're going to learn. Yeah. That this isn't, I'm not giving this to you and you're just going to, you know, take all of this. I think I needed that reality check um, at that age and I'm glad it didn't happen to me at 60 because mm. God knows I wouldn't have been able to recover mm. um, but it was it was very very difficult I went from everything to nothing um, and all of my money had gone into the business I hadn't saved a lot of money I hadn't built a lot of personal wealth at the time and um, so I was pretty much in a very difficult position where I had to go and rebuild fast yeah you know and two years on by the way just to make a point if I need to um, the insolvency eight service um wrote to me probably about two months ago now saying we've done all of our due diligence and our investigation and you can continue to carry on as a director. So they mm. found that I'd done nothing illegal or you know I hadn't done anything wrong, right? Mm. So I'm allowed to continue mm. to trade as a director. As far as I'm concerned, that shows my credibility that I didn't rob anybody or mm. I didn't steal the money out of the business mm. or all of these things that when you lose money, people think of you. Mm. Yeah, he's took the money, he's robbed us, mm. et cetera, et cetera, right? So none of that happened. So that's the sign off for that. And you go through that process. Um, and so going through that process was actually one of the best experiences as a businessman that wants to build a billion dollar empire, because who knows if it's going to happen to me again mm. or not. At least this time I can be better protected to understand why businesses fail. Because mm. before I didn't know. So now I can make sure that every move that I make, there's I, I work with the utmost to make sure that my businesses become successful. But mentally, to just go back to that, you know, I did hit the floor quite badly. My partner left me. Um, I moved out of my ho really nice home. I went into an apartment in the city. And um, and then when the papers and everything started to come out, I was just like, oh my God, this is savage. Did you think maybe I'm not right for business? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Them thoughts came through my mm -hmm. mind. And, um, you know, uh, uh, my uncle told me, Joe, the darkest hour is always the one before dawn, right? Mm -hmm. And I remember being there and I was like, shit, man. Like, I did so well building that business and I did such a good job. This isn't fair that I've had to come mm -hmm. out of it like this. I, I should have been a multi, multi, multi millionaire by mm -hmm. 30 with all of the work 
work that I put in. That business was going to sell for millions in my mind, right? I'd done, I'd done too much. No one mm. had done what I'd done in construction. Mm. So um, there were all these things coming through my mind. And then, you know, I felt really bad for the people that had lost the money and all of that type of stuff. But my reputation was getting absolutely hammered. And I know that I'd given so much satisfaction to all the people that wanted me to fail. And that was a real bitch. That was mm. a bitter pill to yeah. swallow that all them haters that wanted to see me lose got um, for a short period of time, because mm. I'm back now, got for a short period of time that satisfaction. I'm sure they're mm. not smiling anymore, mm. but um, that was hard. And for two weeks, I didn't really want to leave my apartment. I didn't want to look on my phone. I didn't want to look on social media. Everything I was posting out was getting hammered. Um, and I was like, man, screw this. And then I said, hang on. I've got, to, I've got to snap out of this. I'm quite a positive person anyway. I've come overcome loads of challenges in my life. I was like, this is just another hurdle. Yeah, God is preparing you for what's to come. Yeah. Um, so my faith was that this is preparing me. If I'm going to be a billionaire, loads of shit's going to happen like mm. this to me. Mm. Right. So suck it up. Yeah. Learn from your mistakes and make sure that you don't repeat these mistakes. That's mm. how I operate. It's okay to get it wrong once. Don't do it twice. Mm. Yeah. And then make sure that you use what's happened to you to help other people because education around failure is just non-existent. Mm. I looked on Forbes and there was a woman in America, I forget her name, that had lost everything. And and she'd rebuilt. And that was my moment. I can remember in my bed, I was sitting there, I was reading through it and I just got back up. Yeah. And I felt the, I felt the energy return and mm. I was like, right, I'm going to go for it. So that gives me the point. I really want to ask this question. You're back at zero. Mm. How did you rebuild? Okay. So I looked at, um, like I looked at the problem. Yeah. And mm. I said, right, well, you were 22 years of age. You were a plumber running a plumbing business. You had no business acumen. Yeah, and you went into it blindly. By the time you were CEO, by the time you're 29, you're CEO of a national business with hundreds of people, with millions in sales, operating nationwide. And how did you go on that transformation? And actually, why did the business go down at the end? Well, the reality is you're able to level up quicker than your business was growing. And that's how you're able to stay in front of the scale. And mm. if, you're, if you're a business owner, you need to be able to do that or it gets out of control. Mm. But by the time it was national, I was a fish out of water. I'd never been there before. I, I didn't have a lot of the stuff in place that I probably needed systems and everything else, right? So I was a fish out of water. So I, I really fucked up because I didn't have the knowledge of running a national business. If I had of, I would have been able to do it, right? Mm. I would have seen all of these things. So I said, well, tradespeople run trades businesses. Yeah. Dentists start dentist practices. Mm. Lawyers start law practices. Accountants run accounting firms. Hairdressers start hairdressers. Um, uh, uh, um, beauty salons, mm. yeah. And um, so nobody's got a bloody clue about to run a business, mm. yeah. Everybody starts because they're good at the job. They haven't learned about business. Mm. So I said, there's an opportunity here. I love the personal development space and training space anyway. Um, so I wanted to enter into that market. I knew that it was lucrative. I knew that I could help lots of people. I've got lots of energy and lots of mm. passion. So I love to um, show case that right so i said i'm gonna go into it and then i said well hang on i'm gonna go into training construction there's no one doing it right and and, and, I, and I am construction i am um the success and i am the failure of this and mm. so many people in the space they don't grow because they don't know how they're afraid to fail yeah or they grow a little bit they fail then they go mm. back to square one and then yeah. they don't dare go again mm. very typical the one mistake i didn't want to make mark okay was to stay there mm. yeah people fail and then they stop that's true failure, mm. yeah? Um, if you keep going, that's success. I mean, it's just a mistake along the way. It's not failure. The definition of failure for me is quitting mm. full time. 
Um, and so I said, there's a market here. So I got my phone out in my kitchen with a whiteboard and I said, business growth for secrets 2022, for constru- uh, 2020, sorry, for construction. Uh, on that live, I signed up 10 people paying me a thousand pounds an hour to tell them how really? to run their business. So within two weeks of losing it all, I was making um, 10,000, uh, making 10 grand. By the end of January, I was making 20,000 pounds a month. Wow. Yeah, for 20 hours coaching. That was it. I was back. Mm. Immediately, mm. right? It was most of that would probably be profit because it's such. It a was. Su- it was cost. all profit. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I had no cost. Yeah. <laughs> I took my PA from Impra. I took my videographer, and I took a um, a social media apprentice. Mm. So I had like um, three or four staff at the time mm. to to help me get this thing going again, mm. right? Because I was I was ready to get cracking. Then um, we were going into events, big events business started, to, that, and then March came. Mm. We ran our first event in Hilton. Um, in the Hilton Hotel uh, on Canary Wharf. And we had 200 construction businesses registered to show up, okay? The night before, and I'd plunked a lot of money into this event, the night before they announced mass gatherings yeah, oh, no. were cancelled. Yeah. So 10 people showed up and I'd put like 10 grand into marketing and everything mm. else. Anyway, I still did it and I ended up selling up and signing every single person that came to the event onto another mm. program. Then lockdown happened a week later and they completely shut everything down. So my event side there was gone. Mm. So I flipped it online immediately mm. doing webinars, mm. Yeah, teaching businesses how to generate leads, how to make sales and how mm. to build infrastructure. I was making 20 £5,000 a week on one webinar in an hour and a half selling our online training university. So lockdown actually um, blew my business up. It Mm -hmm. stopped my events business, which was very intensive and um, um, people heavy and bookings Mm -hmm. and organization. And I went online Mm -hmm. and within... By April, which was only a month in, I was pulling a hundred grand a month out mm. of my apartment selling our sales training program, which is a fantastic program. But the demand for mm. it in that period where everybody wanted to be competitive and get a competitive advantage, it just um, absolutely blew up. There was a moment um, where the press came out and said the plumbing business gone bust and everything else. And you know, I sold part of it and voluntarily shut the other part down. Um, and Lord Sugar retweeted an article saying you can't win them all Mm. this fella now thinks he can teach businesses at Hilton hotels that's what he tweeted Mm. yeah and I can be quite savage can't he absolutely and you know what he did me the greatest favor I could have ever asked for he said as soon as I saw that the um positive anger motivation to show him what I was really capable of Mm. yeah just lit my body Mm. in flames and I was like right I'm gonna fucking show you Mm. that I'm not a fool right and and I'm gonna do this so it was amazing he did me the best favour it was like lightning inside me that woke (laughs) me up and said now go and show him anyway two years later um, I tweeted uh, about a year and a half later I tweeted that same tweet back I know it was a year later a year later I'd got the business to do in £200,000 a month in sales. Um, and um, I, I, I tweeted back saying, look, you know, um, I appreciate what you said. Actually, you can't, you'll never understand. You'll never know how much this tweet really helped me. I really appreciate it. I'm not doing £200,000 yeah. <laughs> a month. Mm. Probably that's the fastest startup yeah. success any apprentice winner's ever had. Yeah. Um, so I appreciate it. Did he tweet it. you back? 
No, no. He, no. he probably saw it. Though. Yeah, he definitely <laughs> saw it. He definitely saw it. So what would you say the key things are to, to make you able to teach business? Mm. What okay. have you learned along the way that's important there? To be able to teach businesses, I think you need to see success and I need to see and you need to see failure. A mentor that's just had success is has not failed yet. Mm. Yeah. And what goes up must come down. I don't care who you are, right? The law of polarity says everything has an opposite, right? You don't have hot without cold, you don't have happy without sad, you don't have rich without poor. And if you've got a period of time like I had, it's like when you're up, right? You never think you're going to get back down. And when you're down, you don't think you're going to be able to get back up again. But when you're riding that wave, you have to know that there's a downward trajectory coming. Mm. Now that I know that, you can only go up for so long until things start to go down again. And mm. you've got to be very, very aware of when that happens. So I think you need to have success and you need to have failure. Because you're going to look after the businesses and tell them what to do. You need to guide them. Not just like the mentor that I had where he's saying, grow, grow, grow. Mm. Yeah, you've got to know what can go wrong and protect them there. Business owners, have so much potential and if they're just so untapped because they haven't got they haven't broadened their mm. knowledge you know I don't teach get rich quick we're teaching how to build a business mm. using mm. proven blueprints of what I did at Impra it's quite mm. straightforward though when you think about it this is how you market mm. if you then learn that you're going to get leads if you learn how to sell you're going to convert those leads mm. there's no algorithm or trick it's just teaching the basics of what it takes to scale right mm. um, so it's been a really great journey we um, have done five five and a half million in our first two and a half mm. years in sales um, I've created 25 jobs we've got 25 full-time employees I recently just launched Trade Mastermind Extra which is a work from home program I hired 30 people in one day um, mm. two weeks ago mm. I'm booking out our events they're all working from home on a fixed £10 an hour we did that to help people back with the cost of living give them flexible working working really well for us works well for them great initiative it just goes to show that you can come back and you know if you and, and this is and I want people to be inspired by the fact that I was able to come back and I got absolutely slaughtered. So if I can come back from being, you know, crucified, mm. then anybody can come back, but you just can't give up and in failure become the best lessons. I took what went wrong and I turned it into a positive business to help people to succeed. I've helped two businesses in the same time I've grown go from 150,000 to small plumbing businesses. They both hit 1.5 million, both exited and sold for six figures. We've got hundreds of plumbing businesses. I work with builders, electricians, mm. um, carpenters, all trades basically, teaching them the fundamentals of business. Yeah. I noticed you were listed as one mm. of the top three earners that's mm. emerged from The Apprentice mm. at, I think, 4.4 million. Is that yeah. correct? Um, I don't know where they got that number from. But? But yeah, <laughs> it's about right. Um, I'd say it's getting, it's, it's coming back to being closer to that now. Okay. Um, which is good. Mm. And um, I hope it's going to be a lot, lot more than that in the next three years. We're taking Trade Mastermind to a hundred million pound valuation. That's mm. our move at the moment. Why do you think you really need to become a billionaire? Like That seems to be the, mm. the common theme that's coming up again and again. Mm. Billionaire status is where mm. you want to mm. be. Mm. Um, because I want to help people. Right? I heard Branson say when I was younger that you can change a billion lives if you're a billionaire. Taking the money that I've earned and buying my family and my mum, and I put my mum into retirement when I was 28 and mm. you know paid off her mortgage and I give her lots of money now, she doesn't have to work. And mm. you know that for me is pure satisfaction. Mm. I don't care about SVRs and Lambos and all that shit, right? It's nice to have, but it means absolutely nothing to mm. me, right? Um, apartments and, you know, whatever. It's just stuff, right? The real satisfaction is by giving back. And I want to change the world. I want to help billions of people. I've got to create wealth to be able to do that. When is enough? 
enough? Never. Do you want to expand on that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, if I if I um, was happy with what I was, where was where I was at, then I'd struggle to get out of bed. I mean, I'm out of bed every single day because I want to, I need my goals so big that they're unachievable. Mm. They have to be, or I lose motivation very quickly. I'm quite an up and down type of guy, mm. right? I'm sure I'm bipolar in some shape or form, right? I'm up or I'm down, right? Mm. So I need that thing to keep pushing me up all of the time. Um, and um, I need I need that focus. And, 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 I don't want to be laying in my deathbed. Okay, what am I now? 33. I live to, I'm going to live to 100. So um, 67 years mm. from now, okay, hearing beep, beep, <laughs> beep. And eating for a straw. Looking back and thinking, <laughs> Jesus Christ, I didn't go for it. Mm. That's my one biggest regret. I have to know that I went as hard as I could possibly go because when the curtain closes, yeah, um, you know, I just want to know that I've done enough. I think we're very blessed um, that we've been given a chance by God um, to have an opportunity cr to create on this planet. Mm. I believe we're co-creators. We're um, co-creators of the main creator. You know, and every everything that we um, find ourselves experiencing was once somebody's idea. Mm -hmm. Every building, every, you know, this microphone was once created in someone's mm. mind before it became a microphone. Mm. Um, so we are creators. So we've got we to gotta make stuff happen because that's how the world is going to evolve. Mm. I hate the saying you only live once mm. as well. I like to think you live every single day. You only die once. Love that. Thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Thank you so much, um, guys. If you guys enjoyed it, make sure to smash that thumbs up button for the YouTube algorithm. And we will see you next Friday with a brand new podcast. So it's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from him. Later. See you later. Awesome. Amazing. That Thank you, guys. Fun, that. That's all right, wasn't it? Yeah, really yeah, good. That's good. Thank you know what? You've been our best guest ever. Oh, thank you so much. And that's how you end every podcast. Oh. <laughs> there was a theme going on at the end there.